0: Turn, if you would, please, to John chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 19. And, like I said, this is the passage where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem during what John calls the feast. Um, What we have termed this down through the ages is the triumphal entry. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it's, you know, here we are and we're in the season called Advent which is the coming of Jesus Christ. And what we, what we are speaking of is the first coming when he was born, right? And that's what we're leading up to Christmas Day when we celebrate his birth. Not that there is uh, any likelihood that Jesus was actually born on December 25th, mind you, but rather that we as Christians have chosen a day when specifically we will remember that he was born. And so there you have uh, this every year tradition of remembering his birth on this day, on Christmas Day, and then leading up to that, looking forward to it. Well, throughout time, man has been looking forward to things, right? How many of, of you kids are looking forward to Christmas? You're looking forward to it, yeah. I mean, this is, this is an exciting thing. And, and we look forward to things that are good, right? When, we're, when we look forward to things that are bad, we don't call it looking forward. I mean, are you guys on school break yet? Yeah, okay. So are are you looking forward to going back to school? So what are you instead? dreading. When when we look forward, we, you know, there's two there's there's looking forward with excitement and then there's looking forward with dread. And of course, at Advent, we're looking forward with excitement to the coming of Jesus. Well, throughout Time there has been a looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises that God has made. And yesterday I was preaching in the Claremont County Jail and I went all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis, where we're given the very first promise that man will be saved by God Sending a Savior. And one of the guys in there was like, doesn't that have a name? I'm like, yeah. Uh, you've thrown me off so much I can't remember what it is. He goes, it's like proto-something, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. i got to keep going. <laughs> I told him, undoubtedly, a theologian would be able to tell him what it <laughs> The, what the term was for that very first promise? Does anybody know what it is? Was it really? Yeah, proto. In in uh, you would you would say evangelion if you were pronouncing it in Greek. But proto, the proto evangel, the the proto good news, because evangel is you know the the good news. And so, so yeah, it's the proto, meaning the very first, that that first time. And from that day, in the garden, when God said that a child would be born of the seed of woman that would crush the head of the serpent, we have been looking forward to His coming, right? Right? We've been looking forward to that day. And so, you've got all of this, um, you've got all of this fulfillment that has already taken place, right? Jesus was born, and the angels announced the good news. They said, we bring, you know, good tidings of great joy. And yet, it's, it's incomplete. The, the fulfillment is not yet done, is it? When I, asked, when I asked the men yesterday if the promise had been fulfilled, that, that first promise that the seed of woman would come and crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would crush his heel, there was a, there was a disagreement among the men about whether or not this promise had been fulfilled yet. Some said yes, and some said no. Well, why is that? Were, were, some of them, were half of them ignorant? No, they were, they were looking at it from different perspectives. On the one hand, Jesus has come. Right? And yet, on the other hand... Satan has not yet been thrown into the lake of fire, right? And so, the already, the things that have already happened and the things that have not yet happened, there's still, there's still things on both sides of that divide, right? On the one hand, Jesus has come. Now, in our passage, the reason I'm going back and explaining all of this is because in our passage, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, what you've got to realize is that if you were living at that time, you were in the midst of a major fulfillment of the promise, right? But it was still happening over time. Jesus was born. That's the fulfillment of the promise that he would come. But then you've got all the rest of his life on earth. You've got him growing up. You've got him fulfilling all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. You have him being perfectly obedient. You have him dying. And then we're like, okay, yeah, right there. It is finished, right? But if that's where it ended, what hope would we have? We'd have no hope. And so three days later when he rose, that's when you've really got the... But then, you know, a little while after that, then he goes up into heaven, and now here we are, and what are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus to come. Right? So I'm going to read... from John 12, 12-19, through 19, and, and think about being the people who are there. Think about being the people who are present in Jerusalem as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and how they're in the midst of his life. He's been born. He's been doing miracles. He's, he's been performing signs, proving who he is. And yet, it's clear to them, if they look at the Old Testament they look at the prophecies, that there's more to come. Right? And so they're excited about the more to come, the the rest of what they know is supposed to happen. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from John 12, 12 through 19. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're not doing any good? Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now remember, these Jews... They knew the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. And yet even Jesus' disciples became a little bit lost in in recognizing, or a lot lost. (laughs) They missed a lot of what was going on in his life. They didn't understand that it was fulfilling these prophecies until later. We we see this in our text, right? That It says... These things, verse 16, his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that he had done these things to him. So the people of God had been waiting for the Savior. For thousands of years they had been waiting for the Savior. And here Jesus was, he had been born, he had been raised, and now he was performing signs among them. And they began to recognize some of these signs. Not all of them, but they began to recognize some of them. And so, they had these Old Testament quotes. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And they're putting together things from the Old Testament. That, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is a quote, right? It's a quote from the Old Testament. Who is the king of Israel? Well, The king of Israel is none other than the Messiah, right? And they know that the king of Israel is not Herod. The king of Israel is not David. The king of Israel is David's son. And so when they see Jesus beginning to fulfill the promises of the Messiah, they they see Him raising Lazarus from the dead. They come out and they celebrate by attributing to Him the praise that is due Him, right? They, They say, Hosanna. They say, the King of Israel. And then John adds <clears throat> this quote, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so, if you, were to, if you were to be alive at that time, prior to any of the New Testament being written, and you were to go back and you were to look at the Old Testament and all the prophecies of the Old Testament, one of the things that's always worth remembering is that the prophecies are are layered. They're layered so that you can't really see the exact order. They're layered so that you can't really see uh, necessarily, even if you can tell which is going to happen first, you can't necessarily tell exactly how much time is going to pass between these things. And so they're looking at the the Old Testament prophecies, and if we skip forward in this chapter, later on in chapter 12, Jesus begins to talk about the fact that he's going to be crucified. He says he's going to be raised up, and they obviously understand what he means, because then they begin to question him, and they say... The crowd, in in verse 34, then answered him, We have heard out of the law, out of the Old Testament, right, that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So what they've done is they have compressed the time frame of the Messiah's coming all into one event. And they're adamant that they get all of those prophecies from the Old Testament all at once. Right? You guys see what's going on? They're they're unwilling to have the Messiah come and be a suffering servant without immediately also being the victorious king. But here we are, and we're about to celebrate Christmas. We're in in Advent, as I've been saying. And at Christmas, what we celebrate is Jesus coming in human form as a baby. And that goes together perfectly with him coming on a donkey, because a donkey is a symbol of peace. A donkey is not the war horse, the war stallion, right? This is not him coming with a sword and a spear, this is him coming with, on a donkey and with palm branches. This goes perfectly with the Christmas story, because what these things have in common is the, the tenderness of them. What these things have in common is the peacefulness that goes with them. He became one of us. He came in peace. He has been truly patient. If you go back and you think through the history of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, Israel, and you think about how often they turned away from Him, how often they grumbled, how often... They fought against His commands, refused to obey. You look all through the Old Testament, what you see is it's a, it's a history of a people who are sinners. A people who time and time again are tempting God. Time and time again are, are testing Him, are turning away from Him, are, are just asking Just asking for it. <laughs> right? You know, sometimes your kids are just asking for it. Sometimes you kids know your brother's asking for it, and so you will wallop him, right? But is that the way that Jesus responds? No. Patiently waiting, patiently waiting. God loves his people in spite of their sin, and eventually... He comes and destroys them all. No. Eventually, he sends his only son, Jesus Christ, to be a baby. And then throughout his life, you, 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 you've got him coming ultimately to Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And he comes into the city, and it's coming in peace. It's coming and making peace between God And man. He has been truly patient. But now, move forward a couple of thousand years to today, and what you have is a totally different timeline, right? Now, Jesus has not just come in peace as a baby, come in peace into Jerusalem, been crucified, raised, and gone into heaven. But we've been left with a lot more clarity of the prophecies, right? Not perfect clarity still, but a lot more clarity. We understand that there is not just one coming of the Messiah, but two. And so now the waiting that we are doing is for Jesus Christ not to come back in peace, but for him to come back as a great warrior king. The next time that he comes, he doesn't come on a donkey, he comes on the war horse. The next time he doesn't come as a baby, he comes as the glorified Son of God, having been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He comes with a sword coming out of his mouth and his eyes as flames of fire. So now, the Jews... 2,000 years ago, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, you read, they're, they're, they're super excited. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Hosanna! They're calling out as he's coming into the town, into the city. And what are they looking forward to? They want him to be coming into that town at that time as the great and glorious king, don't they? They want him to come in and throw out the Romans to reestablish them as the center of the universe, to make their nation great again. They don't want him to come in peace, and yet he comes in to the city in peace They don't want the way that Jesus came. And so therefore, in a large degree, they don't want Jesus. Now fast forward again to today, and the question that I have for you is, do you want Jesus to come again? Here we are, it's Advent. We celebrate the peaceful coming of Jesus. Are we looking forward to him coming again, knowing that the next time that he comes will be totally different? Or are we intent that Jesus only ever remain the cute, cuddly little baby of Christmas time, the peaceful, happy news of 2,000 years ago? The people of God must always be looking forward to the promises that God has made as good things. It is absolutely something to celebrate, something to remember and to rejoice in this time of year, this Advent season. Give thanks to God that He sent His Son as a baby. Give thanks to God that he sent his son in humility. Give thanks to him that he sent him in peace. That the angel's message was good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. Give thanks that it wasn't immediately the second judgment. I mean the second coming and the judgment of God. Give thanks for his patience. That he's been tender and kind with his people. But don't ever stop looking forward to his second coming. and The greatness of his kingdom being established forever. When he returns as king... You want to be in his vanguard. You don't want to be one of the people that is outside of his kingdom on that day when he returns. Now here's the beautiful thing. Remember I say that there's this tension between the, the things that have already been been fulfilled and the things that are not yet fulfilled, and, and you're, you're, just, you're constantly going through the process of the fulfillment, seeing the things that have already been fulfilled and looking forward to the things that have yet to be fulfilled. <clears throat> and yet, when Jesus comes again, we will still be able to say, fear not, daughter of Zion. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. We can still say fear not to God's people. But the wicked, the wicked will not be acting like the Pharisees at the end of our passage. You see that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. In His second coming, will they still hate Him? Yes. His enemies will still be angry. His enemies will still be jealous. And and His enemies will still hate Him. But they will be scared. In His second coming, they will hide themselves under the ground and call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them how many of us after reading the book of revelation think we understand exactly what it will be like when christ returns anybody feel like the book of revelation is just this perfectly clear picture Or read that you're like oh yeah i know what's going to happen next no if you do think that after reading Revelation, come talk to me because either there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with me. I think it's you so my point isn't to uh, my point isn't to try to um, make everything crystal clear about exactly what is going to happen, exactly what it's going to look like. My point is that just like the Jews at the time that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, we have the temptation to twist the prophecies, to twist the promises of God concerning the Messiah, and to focus only on the parts that we like right now. Given our current situation. And so the Jews were not, they were not clueless about what the Old Testament said. They knew what the Old Testament said. You can tell that when Jesus says, you know, the Son of Man is going to be raised up, they're like, wait a minute, the Messiah is going to remain forever. They know that. But they've conveniently ignored the stuff that doesn't seem particularly good to them like the fact that he will be a suffering servant like the fact that he will be raised up and so when we face these kinds of when you when we face these kinds when you read the book of revelation okay and and you see things in there that are that seem to be in conflict with one another well, what is it? Is he going to re- like the Jews would have been looking forward, and they, they they say, well, what is it? Is he going to remain forever? Is he going to be lifted up? Is he going to re- is he going to be a glorious king, or is he going to be a suffering servant? <clears throat> and the answer is both in their time, right? And so then you read the book of Revelation, you're looking forward to the coming of Jesus, the second coming, right? And there are things that that don't make a lot of sense together if they're supposed to happen at exactly the same time, right? You read about the people of God suffering, and then you also read about Him being victorious, and about Him rescuing His people, and it's like, okay, well you can put together various theories about how this will all work out. If you want to read one bizarre theory, you could pull out the 12 books of Left Behind series. It's not particularly good theology, but it's one way to put a lot of that stuff together into, uh, you know, here it's going to do this, and then this, and then this this, and this. There's better answers than that, right? But what I want us to not fall into is the temptation that the Jews fell into, which was to simply cut out the parts that were inconvenient for them with what they wanted, Does that make sense? So the reason I bring up left behind which can be described as uh dispensational premillennialism, okay? The reason I bring that up is because one of the things that they get right is not ignoring the suffering that will come. Now, one of the one of the things that they get wrong is uh, basically saying as long as as long as you became a Christian early enough, you're never going to suffer. Okay but they don't ignore the suffering that's coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ is what we should want. And what I want you to do as you think about his, as you think about here we are at Christmas time and you think about we're we're in the midst of waiting again. I want you to Look forward to all that is coming. When we say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. That has to have some connection to the promises of the rest of the prophecy of the Old Testament and of the book of Revelation. It can't be that what you're looking for when you say that is... This snowy white grandpa figure that you saw in your children's devotional book when you were a kid coming and giving everybody a big hug. That's not what the prophecies say. And so when we say, Amen, come Lord Jesus, we're calling for an armed king to come and crush his enemies. We're calling for him to come and cast the wicked into hell. And yes, we're, coming, we're calling for him to come and rescue us. We're calling for him to come and complete the work in us. Right? But those two things can't be separated from one another. When he comes and raises up his people who have, who have died... And he unites them to himself for all eternity. He completes the good work that he has begun in them. They are raised up to life. But at the same moment, all of the rest are raised up to death. To eternal judgment and hell. So do you want, do you look forward to the second coming? Or do you only look forward to Christmas? Christmas represents the patience of God. Christmas represents the love of God. Christmas represents the time of opportunity to repent. before it's too late. Christmas is when you have the coming of the offer of the plea deal. Right? You, you think about the, the offer of eternal life. And it's completely... It doesn't make any sense. It's completely unfair that you would be able, to, that you'd be able to plea the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness on your behalf. But that's the first coming of Jesus. And what a wonderful thing it is. And so as he enters into Jerusalem, he comes in on a donkey. He comes in having demonstrated his power, having raised Lazarus from the dead, And what do the people do? The people who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, it says, they continued, verse 17, to testify about him. <clears throat> if you think that the idea of heaven is boring, you're not looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You don't have any way to. That's what's coming. So if you think that the idea of heaven sounds boring, are you a Christian? Do you want to have Christ as your king? the more you understand the misery of your own sin, the more you understand the misery of this fallen creation that's groaning under the weight of our sin, that's that's waiting for that day, then the more we will desire that day. The more you feel the... The more you feel the the hopelessness and the and the uh, the vanity of the work that you give yourself to, you read the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon makes it abundantly clear. You know you're going to work, and you're either going to work for twenty years and die, or you're going to work for sixty years and die, or maybe if you're if you're strong, you'll live for eighty years and die, and and what? All that work. And what does it produce? One elder that I know speaks of Methuselah. You remember how long Methuselah lived? 969 years. And he just says, I'm so, so thankful that I didn't live then. 69 years is bad enough. 969 years of living life on this fallen earth. Why? Well, because he looks forward to heaven. He looks forward to the day when the second coming will happen, when the promises will be made complete. when your work will no longer be filled with thorns and thistles, when God's will is going to be done perfectly. So here we are, looking forward to Christmas, looking forward to the second coming of of Jesus and realizing that his second coming is going to be totally different than his first coming. But there's still a lot of things that are exactly the same. And one of the things that's the same is that you can either be in the crowd that's there because you've heard what he can do, or because you have a testimony of what he has done. You see the difference. There were crowds there. And some of the people were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And they continued to testify about him. But verse 18 says, for this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. What we have to be doing is testifying about the work that God has done. And if you're here only because you've heard of the work that he has done, but not because you have experienced it, that's fine. That's wonderful. It's good that the crowds came having heard what Jesus accomplished. But Jesus will be returning as a king. And it is important before that day that you have experienced what he can do. Not simply seen from afar or heard from a distance what he can do. And if you have a testimony, testify to others. The crowds kept telling the people what he had done. This week I failed at that. I had a wonderful opportunity. I had a question asked that was just just perfect. I was talking to somebody I'd met <clears throat> and he asked me what I'd studied and he asked me uh, what I found most exciting about what I had studied. I had no answer. How can I not have an answer to that? The thing that we're most excited about is the coming of the king. That's what we're looking forward to. And my prayer is that you and I both will have an answer to that question. That we will actually be looking forward to him coming as a king and not just looking back to him having come in peace. Let's go to him in prayer.